back in 1942, as World War II began to pick up some real steam in Europe, Winston Churchill made a statement that may be even more true today than it was back then. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. My dad served in the United States Marine Corps in the Pacific Theater during World War II. And my wife's dad served in the United States Army and landed on D-Day in Normandy in 1944. I'm thoroughly certain that people living in Europe and even in the United States or anywhere in the world thought this was the end of the world. Jesus might break the sky any moment and return. Yet World War II did come to an end, but a new world came out of World War II. Baby boomers like myself were born shortly thereafter. We've seen incredible changes in our technology. And truthfully now, as I look at it all, we're worse off today than we were during World War II. Now, I get it. We have all this technology. We have air conditioning. We have computers and all of it. But as a people... In the United States, as a people in Great Britain, as a people in Canada, Australia, and pretty much the entire Western world, we are worse off today because of our sin nature than we were 75, 80 years ago. For at least a half century, 50 years, there has been this push to get God out of everything from the schools to our institutions our public square Satan is really pushed hard to get God out of your life today people openly defy God mock him and curse him they do it on television they think nothing about it they do it in movies think nothing about it We're coming into a very deluded time. And I'm reminded of what I find in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I ran into this a couple of days ago thinking, in doing one of the radio shows, I think it was Wednesday. And I wanted to share a few words out of chapter 2 and then a few news stories. And then also in the program, a bit of hope. By the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. We do this program actually five days a week, and there's a weekend version that a number of stations also air. If you want to find out more about the program, we do have a website, truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. You know, St. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's sharing with the Thessalonians some of what the Lord has laid on his heart, the Holy Spirit has instructed him to share. A lot of people deny God's existence. And they act like, hey, he's never coming back because he doesn't even exist. That's pretty much the way they think. 
And St. Paul writes in chapter 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto you, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Every day that goes by brings us one day closer to his coming again. It also says, let no man deceive you by by any means. In other words, saying, uh, for that day shall not come. For that day will not come until there is a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed. You could have thought that about Adolf Hitler. You could have thought about that of Joseph Stalin or Mao Zedong. But we're seeing that kind of, well, falling away within our own country, the United States. We've seen that falling away in Canada. We see it in Australia. We see it in Great Britain. And for some reason, many years ago, I highlighted this verse. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And St. Paul says, Remember ye not, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholding might be revealed in his time. There's a great delusion coming. There's a great delusion coming. There's a great falling away occurring right before our very eyes. Last year's pandemic proved something. A lot of churches are all talk and no action. They're more afraid of the virus than they have fear for God. Thank you, government, for keeping us safe. We won't meet or pray again because we might give everybody the coronavirus. It's kind of the attitude. We trust Fauci more than we trust our Savior. We trust Fauci more than we trust the Word of God. And here's what it also says. Now, by the way, the mystery of the iniquity, this is what it says in, in 2 Thessalonians. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now we're beginning to talk about the Antichrist here. Let me just skip down a few verses. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receiveth not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this is this is the, the verse. I want you to take this to heart. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That describes today to a T. That describes even many churches today that have abandoned God's word, and taken it among themselves to create a new gospel that is not the gospel. They have rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. Many deny the resurrection or the virgin birth or what the Bible says about particular issues, and they have reformed it. What did St. Paul say to Timothy, young preacher? For in those last days, those days of perilous times are going to come. People, lover of themselves more than lovers of God. And what do they do? They, they bring upon themselves teachers 
They got those itching ears going. They just reform God's word and change it to mean something else. And somehow they think they're doing good. We're finding out we have many of these, well, I call them a woke church. They have bought into a lie and they perpetuate it and they celebrate it and they run it up on a flagpole. But St. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which loveth us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. May it comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. I'm looking at a couple of news stories. I'm just going to bounce through these things pretty quick. I saw a story where two congregations of the United Methodist Church in Georgia left their denomination in opposition to uh, the denomination's stand on homosexuality. They left because they are promoting it. They want to be inclusive and gay celebrating. They would like to have same-sex weddings in that church. And so they have picked up and left. And to that, I would say, if you're Methodist, you don't need those kind of churches. Let them go. Right now, the United Methodist Church is at a crossroad, in my opinion. I've got a number of friends that are Methodist or were. The United Methodist Church has been debating all these issues for quite a while, as many mainline Protestants like Presbyterians and some Lutherans and, uh, oh, a bunch of others. You know you know what I'm talking about, Episcopalians. They've all gone woke. They all celebrate sin, and they look at the Word of God and say, well, that doesn't, no, you're misunderstanding. It's, well, the words are pretty clear. I pray that at least for my friends in the United Methodist Church. I pray for them that there'll be a way that they can just pick up and leave if they still hold to the Word of God. And I hope that at the next general conference, there may be a measure approved to allow them to pick up and quietly leave. Maybe it's time that many of those Methodist that our Bible believers break away and say, no, we're done. You know, what What fellowship does unrighteousness or does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Why, why bother? I, I remember I was raised Lutheran, Missouri Senate, so somewhat conservative. And about 30, 40 years ago, I would have thought about, you know, I would have attended a evangelical Lutheran church in America congregation, but not anymore. You've got lesbian, transgender pastors running around in rainbow stoles. Some of the silliest nonsense I've ever saw, but every bit of it anti-scripture, anti-faith, and an insult and spitting on the face of God. They're proud in their sin. But then again, we see it everywhere, this, this anger that's also building up on the left. And the left political spectrum has always, let me be very clear about this, has always been an enemy of the faith, period. Leftism includes communism. 
Do you think that the Soviet Union, China, and North Korea are friendly to Christians? Of course not. Never have been. Never will be. It's not in their nature. Because leftism invokes, well, meism to the point of exclusionism of God. Our educational systems in the United States are being overrun these days by teachers that are woke, boards of education, school boards that are just trying to perpetuate some just horrible stuff on our kids. Whatever happened to teaching them mathematics? Oh, that's racist now in the United States. What about history? Oh, we have to sanitize it and change it. What about English? Well, that that's a racist language. What are we teaching them in our schools today? This story came out a few days ago. A top official with the Virginia Parent Teachers Association resigned after seemingly wishing death to parents who oppose the teaching of critical race theory and other progressive ideas. Now, Michelle Leet, the vice president for training for the Virginia PTA, had said, let them die at a rally. That was about a little over a week ago in Fairfax County. And here's what she had to say, or at least part of it. Let's prepare our children for a world they deserve. Let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial reckoning, anti-opportunities, anti-health people, anti-diversity, anti-platform, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-LGBTQ+, Now, I know that was a little bit hard to hear, not the world's greatest recording. It came from a video taken uh, by somebody at that, at that rally. And she made a statement later. Uh, she meant she wanted to say right-wing ideas need to die, not not people. But you know something? She was reading from a script. In other words, it wasn't off the cuff. She had prepared remarks. You could see it in the video. She was holding them in her hand, holding a microphone and reading them very carefully. And she wanted people, she used the word people, to die. Not ideas, people. If she meant ideas, when she wrote her, you know, her little speech, she lied. She basically is covering for what she said. She thought she was with a totally woke and like-thinking audience and never thought that this would get out. She got caught. Period. Now, she resigned, which is good. Now, in the statement, it said, while not speaking within a role within the Virginia PTA, we do not condone the choice of words used during a public event back in uh, the 15th of July. As the Commonwealth's largest nonpartisan, <laughs> I don't think so, uh, child advocacy organization, yeah, they're partisan. Look at the people that run it. Virginia PTA upholds values of respect, collaboration, and accountability. She made a partisan speech, 
and she's a top official. So don't lie to me and tell me you're nonpartisan. Obviously, you are. At least some people in Fairfax County have made it very clear that her rhetoric was deeply disappointing. Actually, I find it disturbing. To me, it shows a lack of concern for children, parents, the well-being. There's a lot to be done. Our schools have become sewers and cesspools of just degenerate thought. You have policies now in schools in many districts around the country that allow transgender students. Now, this is something, if you told me 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, name name even five years ago, well, yeah, maybe five years ago, after the Supreme Court authorized same-sex weddings in the United States, transgender students... I read an article, trying to remember, uh, Dennis Prager wrote it. You may have the right to be transgender, but you don't have the right to expose yourself if you're a man in front of a, naked in front of a woman. You don't have that right. But they demand that they have that right. Well, I'm a woman. I mean, I feel like a woman. I want to be a woman. And so we are to put up with this mental illness or this satanic oppression, whatever it is, it's demonic. And we're supposed to just let adult men be naked in front of our children? Don't laugh. Don't think I'm crazy. It's true. There's a lot of things going on in this world today. We are heading to the end. And I really believe we have entered that time. There's no doubt in my mind. We have now entered that time that St. Paul calls this mass delusions. Mass delusion. Critical race theory is just a wedge issue. That's all it is. Goes back years ago. Goes back all the way to the 60s. The whole idea is... It's an incremental step-by-step methodology of dividing a nation with the ultimate goal of destroying it from within. And it's being used. I mean, our military, I told you a couple of days ago, great story, pointing out that the United States Navy is more concerned about teaching transgenderism Wokeism and critical race theory, all this stuff is vastly more important than how to operate our submarines and aircraft carriers. It's more important to take time for these social issues. I don't think our military, if we keep going, is going to be able to defend itself against any enemy. Like I said, you go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And that's what it is. The left is pushing lie after lie after lie. They're pushing it on our children, demanding that they accept it as truth, or they are then, well, canceled in the culture. As I said before, St. Paul taught and preached and wrote a lot of things about the future. He explained how the Holy Spirit has been 
a restraining force. That's what it's been in the world. Holding back the ultimate evils of, of, of human beings and the demonic forces of the fallen angels. St. Paul also made it clear that, well, human beings, believe it or not, have a capacity for evil. Just look at Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Chairman Mao Zedong, the killing fields of Pol Pot. You could just go down the whole list. They, these, these megalomaniacs killed hundreds of millions of people. And you want to know something? Without salvation in Jesus Christ, our hearts can be equally as evil. Hard to believe. We use psychology, secularism, New Age thought. That's the latest. As well as today's majority of mainline Protestant churches. They're buying into all this nonsense. They're convinced that people are just essentially good. And only resort to criminal behavior because of negative experiences. They don't accept the idea that we're born in sin. The Bible states... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's from Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, if you look at the 24th chapter, Jesus has a lot to say about the end times in verse 22. And except those days be shortened, no flesh shall be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, today we have COVID-19. Lockdown, censorship, vaccines. I'm beginning to wonder. Transgenderism. Critical race theory where you just take history and throw it away. Ignore the parts you don't want. Change it. Rewrite it. Has that mass delusion finally arrived? In one corner we have some, well... Fine and sincere people speaking up about fulfilling our biblical love thy neighbor command. And they tell us to wear our face mask, receive our vaccine, and remain sequestered, alienated and isolated. And and they wrongly say that's our Christian obligation, that we should just stay away from church, take the vaccine, wear a face mask, and never worship together again. Because don't you know that singing God's praise kills you? And if you have communion, your, your, you know, Jesus' body and blood will give you the coronavirus. This is the insanity that is infecting the church. There are also those that are deluded that there was no fraud in the 2020 election. Well, there was. And I really believe... You know, I read a lot of things during the course of a week. Some I share with you, some I don't. There are some people that I kind of follow, and, and I'm curious to what they say and think. And some of them, there's there's one group that still believes that Trump will be put back in office. I don't know if I can believe that or not. But I will agree that I, I really, I'm convinced the truth will come out. Now, what we do with that truth, how we remedy the situation Well, that remains to be seen. And we have the delusion. I mean, our our minds are clouded. Our eyes are blinded because of we're in this deluded time. We are in the end times. I believe we're going to be dragged from being a constitutional republic and turn into a social democrat nation. Where... Transgenderism and all this silliness 
is going to be celebrated. If you don't buy into it, you're going to be, quote, socially canceled. If we don't fight back, we're going to have vaccine passports in this country in a period of time. State by state, like Florida, Georgia, we'll fight it. But eventually, the power depends on who gets into office and what happens. If we get any little bit of respite, we're still heading rapidly toward the end. The great delusion. It's here. You know, the secular, unbelieving world, even they're stunned at what's happening. You know, people that are just, let's say, fiscally and somewhat politically conservative, but they're not Bible believers at all. Or they may be in a woke Protestant church that stopped believing the Bible ages ago. They look and they have no explanation of it. They can't figure it out. You know, once sound pulpits are now silent or they're perplexed, the one thing you got to understand I listen to people on, you know, Fox News and and, uh, Newsmax and others, some radio, and they all act if we just vote for the right person, get the right candidate, it'll all be happy days are here again, it'll all be rosy, it'll all be fixed, everybody will become good little Christians that'll go to church on Sunday wearing dresses and little suits and ties. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Bible says, put not your trust in princes or the sons of men, only in God. And too many Americans, too many Canadians, too many people in the United Kingdom, too many people in Australia have forgotten that. You will never solve your nation's problems by a political solution. Only as people's hearts and minds are changed and they're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ can anything good ever come. Our times are perilous. Like I said, 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's the Laodicean type and church. A Roman society at the end, all characterized by depravity. Evil and violence escalates. We're in the birth pangs or well into the birth pangs or labor pains of the coming of the end of this world. Floods, fires, droughts. God's trying to warn us. And people don't want to see it because they're living in this great delusion that they've bought upon themselves. God is allowing these birth pangs on the entire world. I think the coronavirus is just one piece of that puzzle. Yeah, I believe it came out of a lab in Wuhan, and I believe there were a number of individuals that created and pushed for that virus, paid for with United States taxpayer money. How that'll ever be dealt with, I don't know. I also see something happening. I see the great, quote, Western powers fading away, China rising as we're so busy chasing woke silliness and satanic nonsense, we lose sight of the prize of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God is marginalized by people and by governments in time, God's judgment always will come. There's no exception to that rule. The United States 
a nation that God blessed for, well, literally hundreds of years. I think that hand of protection and that blessing is disappearing. The church that used to stand faithful on the word of God, now many like those churches I mentioned in uh, the Savannah, Georgia area. They're so pro-LGBTQ+, transgender, and everything that is woke, they have rejected the gospel, or, and they're the ones that are, they can't wait to ordain lesbians and let them get married. This is what they want. A mockery of the faith once delivered to the saints. Our world is in a mess. What did you think the end times are going to look like? I look at the vaccine passport stuff that is being pushed around the world. It'll eventually get here. may take a little longer. We might get a little reprieve. But I'll tell you what we need to be doing. I mean, as of right now, need to be doing. If you're a Christian. The day of that mark is coming, and it may come very well in our lifetime. How do you plan on surviving? And if you're looking for a free pass, like a rapture to get you out before it gets bad, don't count on it. Why would we be made exempt from tribulation when faithful Christians since the beginning of the church have given their lives for the faith, been tortured for the faith, lost everything for the faith, died for the faith, watched their children killed for the faith? Why should we in the United States have this, oh, I go to church when it's convenient, and I like to go there, but if I have other things to do on a Sunday, I do them instead. And, and besides, when things get bad, poof, I'm gone. I'm not so sure. if You better be ready for what's coming. I'm warning you. I'm giving you. Why would St. Paul bother to tell his followers of the terrible things to come if they're never going to experience it. He's not saying this to tell that, you know, tell others, join the club and you get out of it. No, he is telling them, be prepared for it. And the church is simply, totally and absolutely unprepared. It's time to get serious. As the old saying goes, have a come-to-Jesus moment. We as Christians, hey, the day of the megachurch may be over. It's time for the mini-church, those that can gather in homes, in the back of stores or bookstores or whatever the case may be, because the day's coming. Look at the speed we've gone through the coronavirus till today, and it's still not over, and it will never be over. It'll be used. And after we're used to lockdowns, it'll be for climate change. Yeah, can't drive as much, can't travel. All these restrictions. This is part of the satanic new world order. Like I reminded you, World Economic Forum, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. You'll rent everything. You won't even own your phone, your house, your appliances. Everything will be taken from you and you'll pay a fee. And when you're no longer politically correct, you can't have your stuff. You can't buy food. You can't have medicine. I'm waiting for the day 
that if you have a car accident and they're taking you to a hospital, they won't treat you unless you've been vaccinated. That day's coming soon. Lord, spare us. Lord, help us. And good Lord, deliver us. This is Truth to Ponder, and I'm your host, Bob Bierman. If you believe in this ministry, would you let me know? Our mailing address is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane. We are in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia. And the zip code is 30537. That's 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. Our website is truth2ponder.com. That is truth2ponder.com. This is Truth to Ponder. With Bob Bierman. The importance of Amatz. Shalom Lechem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now in the book of Ruth, Naomi, the Jewish mother-in-law, tries to convince her Gentile daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to leave her and not follow as she returns to her homeland in Israel. Orpah finally agrees to leave, but Ruth refuses. Again, Naomi tells her to go, but again, Ruth refuses to go. Finally, Naomi gives up and lets Ruth come along. Why'd she do this? Well, she did it according to the original Hebrew because she saw that Ruth was amatz. Amatz is the Hebrew word for steadfast. Amatz is Hebrew for stubborn and courageous and fortified and hardened. Now you might say, wait a minute, it's not good to be stubborn and hardened. Not quite. It's not good to be stubborn in sin and hardened to God, but it's very good to be stubborn in love and hardened for righteousness. You see, it's not enough to follow God. You have to be amatz in your following. You need, like Ruth, to be characterized in your walk by the quality of amatz, holy stubbornness, steadfastness, fortified, hardened for the good. You need to be stubborn in your faith, stubborn in your love, hardened in your commitment, fortified in your hope. If you're not stubborn about what's good, then the enemy will discourage you from entering the blessings God has for you. But Ruth, she refused to be discouraged. She was stubborn. And so when Naomi saw she was amatz, stubborn, she gave up and let her come. And when the enemy sees that you're amatz, he too will give up. Be steadfast in faith, unwavering in hope, stubborn in love. Don't just be a believer, be an amatz believer. And nothing on earth will keep you from all the blessings God has in store. Want more? Ask for wherever you dwell. Now, would you like to be faster than a speeding bullet? Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Or how about just move mountains? Well, you can. With Sapphire's the super spiritual supplement to help turn your walk into a super life with God. Plus the incredible mystery of the temple doors, all free. How do you get all this? Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll be so blessed. But call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in the Great Commission to bring salvation back to the Jewish people and reach millions of unreached peoples around the world on five continents. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct to the nice Jewish boy at Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah Hatsura, the Rock.
This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And I want to welcome you back to part two of our program, Truth to Ponder. Just want to take a moment. I've got something I want to share in just a couple of minutes, so please hang in there. I want to thank all of you in recent weeks that have been writing me, uh, regular mail or email. Your emails, especially those when you tell me that you're listening and that it's worth the effort to do this program. It means more to me than you will ever know. When I first felt led of the Lord to do this program on a regular basis, every day, it used to be a weekend show. It was hard enough. <laughs> I used to think it was hard enough when I did this program just once a week. That started back in 2015. And even after I retired from a lot of my secular work and and really wanted to devote my, myself to more ministry, I did the once-a-week program, and I thank God for the opportunity. Finding out that people that have listened to me for like five years now, I'm surprised, and I thank you for taking the time and encouraging me. I also thank all of you that make this program possible on radio. Without the wonderful gifts and support, we would not be on radio. And I just want to be clear... I'm an unpaid employee. There's no paid people. Nobody's making money off doing this radio program. God is taking care of my needs, so I give my time and my talents and my abilities. And even my wife and I have been subsidizing some of the aspects of this ministry for quite a while. But I thank all of you that make it possible to stay and increase our radio outreach. So please, you know, just keep us in your prayers as we continue to do this radio program. Once again, the mailing address is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box. And we're in the big city of Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. And our website, of course, is truth2ponder.com. Being willfully blind, not wanting to see. Many people do that. There are a lot of people blind from birth. A lot of people whose sight has gone bad that wish they could see. But there's nothing worse than somebody that does not want to see. Several years ago, I shared a message. It's rather short. To a congregation. And we touched on that topic. I think a lot of Christians are blind today to all that's going on. They're hoping that we can just, you know, get the right person in public office and and life goes back to normal. No, life has been changed and it will continue to be changed as we get closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ coming again. Let me share this message with you now. And I pray that you can receive what God has for you in this message. Heavenly Father, as we come to you at this time to share from your word. We pray that you open our eyes that we may see you. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. How many of you remember the song? It was done years and years ago. Everything is beautiful in its own way. Yeah, we can all probably sing it. Ray Stevens sang it. And one of the great lines in that song, there is none so blind as he who will not see. 
There is none so blind as he who will not see. As a child, my grandfather decided to take on a ministry which he had knew nothing about. He was a sighted person, my grandfather. He could see quite well, especially in his older age with decent glasses. But he took on the ministry of learning how to type Braille. This is before computers and printers. And so to get Braille books and Bibles, they had to be hand-typed back in the 50s and 60s. There were no machines that were doing that on a grand scale. My grandfather typed for years every sermon Ozzie Hoffman of the Lutheran Hour ever preached and put it into Braille. He would do two or three copies per week in the evening, sitting there at this table with a cigar going, a cocktail on one side. He typed the entire Bible, I think, 50 or 60 times. He made 60 copies of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation. So I learned one thing at a young age. You don't argue scripture with grandpa. He's read it. He remembers it. He'll tell you where it is. Because not only did he read it, he wrote it. And he then, in his later years, would teach Braille to the newly blind at the Helen Keller Center in New York. He tried to retire, but they kept sending a driver out to pick him up. He did that till he was 90 years of age, teaching the newly blind how to read. There's something about this lesson today about somebody that is blind from birth. And there's a great spiritual analogy that is tied into this person being blind from birth. You know, when a puppy or a newborn kitten comes into this world, they can't see a thing. They're blind. They, all they go by is, where's mama? Where's food? That's all they know. They are blind, but they are cared for. But we are born into this world with a spiritual blindness. A spiritual blindness. In other passages of Scripture we have read in recent weeks during this season of Lent about how sin prefers living in darkness. Sin prefers the dark. Blindness is total and absolute darkness. So, let's get back to this blind man, blind from birth. A couple of strange things happen in this narrative. It's not simply a story about Jesus approaching somebody with an ailment or an illness like he did many times before. How many people did Jesus say, rise up and walk, be healed, be healed? How many people were healed? But we see something a little different this time in this particular passage of Scripture which catches my attention. You would think that if a crowd of people were around and somebody that everybody knew was blind from birth, everybody knew old John or whatever his name was. We don't know his name. He was just the blind beggar. And he had been seen there for years 
trying to get by in life, trying to get something because he couldn't work, he couldn't see. And so he depends upon the charity of others to meet his need. And all of a sudden, now he can see. Now, just as we have today, there are a handful of skeptics. Oh, he never was blind to begin with. They don't want to believe that there's any possibility of anything miraculous, anything powerful from the hand and the word and from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Can't handle that. Then those that agreed that he was healed looks at the healer and go, well, how dare you do that on the Sabbath day? You can't do that. Criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath. Kind of reminds me of a, a cult that was around for a number of years. It's still around to a degree. Herbert W. Armstrong. Remember him on television? Yeah. The World Tomorrow. One of those guys that decided to take Christianity and run us back under the law in bondage. Can't celebrate Christmas, can't do this, can't do that. Everything's on a Saturday. We, we observe the Feast of Tabernacles and we do. He put everybody back under the bondage of the law. And once again, negates everything Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law. The law in me is fulfilled. Now we're trying to refulfill it. There's a lot of strange cults out there running around in the name of Christianity. But we go back to those words of that song. There is none so blind that he that will not see. Let's take that to its natural extension for just a moment. One thing that I have learned from my grandfather and from meeting so many blind people in my youth is how other senses over time make up for the loss of sight. Hearing gets better, sense of smell. You'd be surprised at all these things that become incredibly enhanced because of your eyes are gone. I had a little dog one time to give it a good example. His name was Samson. He was a black shih tzu, cute as a button, had a personality that fit that name, Samson, like a tough guy. And I remember, oh, years ago, that I noticed his eyes were not that good. And like the veterinarian said, yeah, with, with these dogs, the eyes go bad early on. But you'll never notice it because they'll compensate and never even know that they're going blind. And I'm not sure when he went 100% blind, but apparently... Somewhere between the time the vet told me that the dog may go blind and the time I realized he was 100% blind, a period of three years, he'd gone blind. And you never know it. He could still act happy, still look like he's looking at you, but he didn't see a thing. Then he went deaf. I'm suddenly realizing one day we had a cat and the cat would go out with the dog so the dog wouldn't get lost. And I'm realizing, I go to the vet, how long has this dog been blind? And how long has this dog been deaf? And the vet goes, it's a shih tzu. The dog may have been deaf before he went blind. And you never knew it. Their nose is so powerful that they can live a happy and normal life 
without even ears or eyes. The dog really wasn't deaf or blind. He would compensate. So think about this. There is none so blind than he who will not see means we're shutting down all the other senses because we don't want to know the truth. We don't want to know the truth that we couldn't see. We don't want to even hear it. We don't want to sense it, smell it, feel it, touch it, hold it. The message today to me from this gospel, it's a given that Jesus had the power and the authority to heal that blind man. The miracle was pretty self-evident to all those who saw it. Yet there were those that tried to rationalize, deny, and pretend it didn't happen. There were those that when Jesus did this miracle, Jesus, who by the way is the Lord of the Sabbath, is now criticized for doing it on the Sabbath. Because Jesus in doing this miracle, in opening this individual's eyes, puts a threat to those that would keep you in blindness. We as Christians are what? The light of the world. We are also the salt. We talked about that several weeks ago. You know, a preservative. We are salt and light. We possess truth that it is our obligation to share one with another and to the community and and world around us in any way that God provides the means to do. When Jesus mixes that spit and that clay and use that to cleanse the eyes, And those eyes were open. I have to think for just a quick moment. This guy was blind from birth. Never had seen anything. He had heard descriptions of what may be a river, stream, or lake. What the sun would look like. What the moon looked like. He heard descriptions of flowers that he could smell but never could see. All these things that his other senses enhanced, perceived, he never physically saw until the day that he meets Jesus. And his eyes are suddenly open. Just like us, whose eyes have been blinded by living in darkness, when the change comes, we see the world in a whole new light. Think of those that we love that have gone on before us as they close their eyes to the three-dimensional world in which we live and open their eyes in the presence of Jesus. How do you describe it? 
Yet there are those, as John warns us as he writes this gospel, that will fight it tooth and nail. The evidence is there, but they refuse to see it because they choose blindness and darkness over light and truth. This season of Lent, these 40 days we spend as we anticipate the resurrection, these 40 days, these 40 nights, is a time to reflect on our natural sinful nature that needed to be redeemed by a Savior, that Savior, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Light exposes the things that are hidden in the darkness, the dust, the dirt, the debris. You know, it's kind of hard to clean a kitchen floor without light or a kitchen counter. You can't see what you've got there. We put on that sanitizing light, and during these 40 days, we say, Lord, we are exposed to the light of your Holy Spirit. Clean, forgive, and change what is there. I'll close with this thought. There's a great, more contemporary kind of hymn you may hear in Baptist circles. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. That should be our prayer and hymn today. To open our eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Fix our eyes on the light of the world and we will no longer live in self-proclaimed blindness. Heavenly Father, I pray today that your word will be the light to the path of our feet, that we may see this light and walk away from the blindness that the world would have us live under and in. Let the little light that is within us shine. And may our light together become a beacon of brightness and hope from this place. For this we ask in the name of the light of the world who came to take away the sins of the world, your Son. Jesus Christ. Amen. If I never walk upon those streets of purest gold, if I never sit beside that crystal sea, if I never see that mansion prepared to my final home I want to see Jesus cause he died for me to look into those eyes of mercy that watch over me when I stray I want to feel those nail scarred hands that gently brush my tears away
walls of jasper and twelve gates of pearly white. If I don't see it beneath the tree of life, if I'm permitted to enter, I'll bow beneath those nail-scarred feet. I wanna see Jesus, 'cause He died for me. To look into those eyes of mercy that watch over me while I stray. I want to feel those nail-scarred hands that gently brushed my tears away. the time go i want to thank you for listening we'll be back next week for those on the weekend for the others that listen on a regular basis we'll be back on monday with another edition of truth to ponder our mailing address 21 berkshire lane number 263 sky valley georgia 30537 until monday this has been truth to ponder with bob bierman to find out more visit our website truth the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.